Well, we're coming to the conclusion of chapter 1 and Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we know that he's been writing from prison. That's very important to know in this letter. It's one of his prison letters. He's been suffering for the Lord Jesus and he's been describing how he's got joy in his heart and, and not the happiness of this world uh, that's rooted and grounded in the foundation of our circumstances, but his happiness and his joy was rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've learned that as we've been traveling through the first chapter of Philippians. Paul has a peace that the Bible describes as a peace that passes all understanding. And even in these difficult circumstances that he finds himself in, and there Paul is, and he speaks of his joy in serving Christ. He speaks of his joy in reaching out with the gospel, even from his present experience. And he has continued uh, to serve the Lord, and he's continued uh, to find his happiness, even in his circumstances, only in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll read from verse 21 to get the context uh, this afternoon. We considered these verses last Lord's Day, and we'll read them again. He says in verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And he says, For the Christian to die and to depart and be with Christ, it's far better than life down here. But he says, If I must stay, if I must, if I must serve the Lord and continue down here, the only thing that would bring him joy is having time to serve the Lord more. And that was his attitude. If he was to live on, it was to serve the Lord. And if he was to die, it was far better. Why? Because he would be with the Lord. And that's what he says in these first verses. And he says, for I am in the street. He doesn't know what to choose. That's what he says. And in verse 24, he says, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your fervence and joy in the faith. He says to them, It's not my time to go yet. The Lord still has work for me to do. We don't know how Paul knew that. But he says, It's not my time to go yet. The Lord still has work for me to do. And it's that your joy might abide. We ask the question, Are you a Christian? that needs others joy about joy about last Lord's Day. Are you someone that makes people joyful or are you pain? And that's what we ask. And we are, our job as Christians is to encourage one another. Yes, to sharpen one another, but to encourage. The points will point one another to Christ as we are sanctified daily. When we come to the verses that we're looking at today, and it's found in verse 27 there, and it says this, only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, uh, but which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here today in me. I don't know about you, 
But I remember the wonderful moments in primary school when the teacher left the room. Do you remember those? They were glorious experiences. I remember it used to be that moment around the classroom where the class would think we can do anything we want because the teacher isn't looking. And I remember actually some of those even better occasions in secondary school when the teacher never even showed up to the period that they were meant to be teaching. And some people took the opportunity to waste time. And some people took the opportunity to act irresponsibly. And some would just be quite rebellious, so still. And when we think about those kinds of times, as parents, some of your parents here, you know that many times you might have asked the babysitter if the children behaved themselves when you got home. Maybe you got that blank stare and that knowing look. And you wonder to yourself, how is it that they seem to be so much in control when you're around and so out of control when you're not around? Why think Paul had a little bit of that teacher-parent uh, apprehension here regarding the Philippian church? His concern about them was as good as the church was, and as deeply as they loved Paul, and as graciously as they had acted towards him, and as kind and generous as they are to him, he still knows that in his absence that they could begin to show signs of defecting, signs of spiritual irresponsibility, and signs of maybe even rebellion. Of course, Paul's heart had been broken by many different churches as he went around his ministry, different churches that he planted. And when he returned to heard about their affairs, we can especially think of the Corinthian church and how much heartache they caused Paul. And Paul, when he's writing to them here, he says, Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And whether I come to see you, or whether I am absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast. And once where Paul says, Whether I'm there or not, I trust you're following the Lord. Whether I'm there or not, I trust that you're continuing in the faith. And this experience of other churches, which had been good churches that had fallen, Paul certainly just gives them this little warning and says, make sure you continue to walk with him. We are sons and daughters in the family of God. We enjoy fellowship in the gospel. And we're servants in the vineyard sharing the gospel uh, with the people who are around us here in the Greens. And Paul, in these verses, he realized that we are soldiers in a battlefield. And we're battling for the faith of the gospel. Now, the faith of the gospel is the Christian faith that's revealed by God in his word. Jude calls it the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And Paul warns in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Now, if Satan can rob professing believers of their faith, the doctrines that are distinctively there, then he can certainly cripple and defeat the ministry of the gospel if we allow him to, and don't go to war with him. It's tragic and sad these days to hear some professing Christians say, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're living right. As long as you're living in a good way. You know, there's certain doctrines that don't matter. It doesn't really matter. Do you ever hear that sort of talk? It's absolute nonsense. And what we believe, it determines how we behave. 
And wrong belief ultimately leads to wrong behaviour. Each local church, and I want you to listen to this well, each local church is just one generation from closing its door. One generation from closing its door. And we've got to contend for the gospel. And we've got to fight for the gospel of what is right. And we've got to do that with the Lord's help. And that's our call. And Paul really has been encouraging this. We've seen it in his own life as he's testified. But now he's turning to the Philippian church. He's finished all the, t- the, the chat about him. And now he turns to the church and he says, You've got to go out with the gospel. You've got to step out into the battlefield. And you've got to fight for the Lord. Warren Wearsby gives three points in these verses. And I'm going to borrow these points to structure our message this afternoon. What I want to speak to you on is simply this. Walk the talk. Walk the talk. Don't just talk about the gospel of one another. Just don't think about doing this. Actually live out what we preach. That's what Paul is encouraging the Philippians to do. Don't just stand and preach and tell people how they should live. You need to live it. You need to live it. And the first thing that Wearsby speaks about in this passage, he speaks of consistency. He says, Paul teaches us consistency. Look at verse 27, he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now this word, conversation, it's in the old English language in the authorised version, which we're reading from today. And it doesn't mean speaking, this word, conversation. It means the life that you're living. It's speaking about this word citizenship. And so you could translate this verse as let your citizenship be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, your conduct of life, how you live, not just what you say, but what you do, your whole being, your character. Paul says, let your character, let your character be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now we understand this first phrase that it means that we're to live as citizens of heaven. The first thing Paul tells us is that we ought to live in consistence with our status. Paul is suggesting that while we're on this earth that we still ought to live as citizens of heaven. What a privilege. What a privilege this afternoon. Dear child of God, you are enrolled in heaven's register. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life. And we're to speak heaven's language. And we're to obey heaven's laws. And we're to be loyal to heaven's cause. And we are waiting for heaven's glory. Billy Sunday once said this. If Christians would live like they're homesick for heaven, the devil wouldn't have a friend left in earth. If Christians would live like they were homesick for heaven, the devil wouldn't have a friend left in earth. You're a citizen of heaven. But let me ask you this afternoon, are you reflecting your status? Do you consistently live your life in a way that reflects your citizenship? Are you glad that you're a citizen of heaven this afternoon? And how does a citizen of heaven conduct himself. Well, let's follow on in verse 27, because he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. 
And whether I come and see you or, or be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit. He's saying if you live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that's what he goes on to say, striving together for faith in the gospel, consistent with what we know, consistent with what we teach, consistent with what we preach, and consistent with what we believe. This is integrity. That's what Paul is teaching us in these verses today. Living with integrity. Not just publicly, but in private. It's that Christian character that we touched on a number of Lord's days ago. It's, it's living in secret and living in public the Christian life. Because the Lord rewards openly what he sees in secret. And we're to live in all ways in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, the thing that's stripping the church today of its credibility is that it says one thing and does another thing. That it lives one way and it preaches another way. And the world look at the church and they say, well, hold on a minute. If that's what a Christian is, if you tell people what to do and you're living like that, I'm not interested. I've heard that say. I remember I was working somewhere and I was working just there for a couple of months helping and there was a man and he pointed to a Christian lady and he said, see her and the way she lives? That's why I'm not getting seen. The way we live, the way we live could be the only Bible that people read and people do read it. It speaks of integrity. Speaks of the integrity of the message that we preach, that we actually believe it. I wonder if you live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's only when the church lives true to its message, and by the church I mean you and I, it's only when the church is embodying and its behavior through the gospel that its beliefs and that we will have integrity. And you know, as I think of this, in a manner worthy of the gospel, it cuts itself up when we don't live in them. The gospel cuts itself up to people like saying, the devil loves doing that. Well, to go to battle. The gospel is simple. So should social our dress and our speech and our behavior. The gospel is true. It's, it's gold without dross. The gospel is fearless, as we should be in our action and our profession. And the gospel is gentle. I wonder, is your bad, temp- is your bad temper contrary to the gospel? The gospel is loving. I wonder that you show the love of Christ to all that you come across. The gospel is merciful, but the gospel is holy. We've just sang, take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. So easy to sing these hymns at times. I wonder, are you living out the hymns that you sing? It's worth remembering that the world around us knows only the gospel that they see in your land. And when Paul mentions the gospel of Christ here, he refers to the good news of salvation, the good news of eternal life that God sent into the world as only son. A man can be saved from sin and clothed in the righteousness of Christ and strive to live lives that are holy. For God has said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And the church has to live that up. We have to be consistent with our message. We've been delivered from darkness to light, from death to light, 
from sin to righteousness. And we have to live out that reality. Now let me make this clear. We're still at war with our sinful nature every day. But we need to be striving to live for Christ's consistency. Are you living a consistent life to the message we preach, to what we share? The second thing that Weirsby speaks about here is cooperation. Cooperation. Verse 27, he says again in the second part, he says that he stands fast in one spirit. That he stands fast in one spirit. Now we need to stop and consider the phrase that he stands fast. That he stands fast. Let's dig into that and let's get the deeper meaning of what Paul is saying when he says to stand fast. It literally means to be a post in a war. To be a post in a war. The word is referring to a soldier who shouldn't budge from his post, that you'll, you'll be at your post and you'll not move. And what's Paul is saying, what, is, what Paul is saying through this is there's to be no compromise with error. That there's to be no compromise with sin. It's an unyielding maintenance of the, of the testimony of the Word of God and the Christ of God. Paul says, stand firm. Don't move doctrinally. Don't move on the terms of conduct from where you stand. Now mark this. Please mark this. When he talks about standing firm then, he has in mind resisting the devil and fleeing from temptation. Resisting temptation. It's resisting becoming corrupted doctrinally and in our behaviour because they go hand in hand. He has in mind the matters of resisting temptation. And the military metaphor here is it's this critical place where even when you come under tremendous attack, that you still don't leave your post. Because we will come under tremendous attack. Because if you're going to live for God, the devil's going to attack and attack and attack and attack. But we must stand firm. That's what Paul is saying. So let me ask you, young Christian, does the music you listen to compromise your Christian walk? Does that show you what your Netflix compromise your Christian walk? What about that TikTok video that you find funny, that you laughed at? Would you laugh have laughed if Christ was sat next to you? Of course, this applies to all of us, from the youngest to the oldest. The things we do, the things that we now say is acceptable to watch. The books we say are acceptable to read. <coughs> Would you be reading them of Christ who sat beside you? We're not to let the devil get a football. And sometimes we give him every opportunity. To take that footfall. Let's look at the next part of this week, please. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. One spirit, one mind. It speaks of working in unity. Working in unity for what? Why do we need to work in unity? Well, it says, for the faith of the gospel. Christian faith is revealed by God and recorded in Scripture, and it means so little to many these days. <coughs> and the one thing that will pull our local church fellowship together is when there's a drive to reach out for the gospel. And it says here, and I want you to see this, it's important. 
It says that you stand fast in one spirit. The word spirit there is a small s, so it's not speaking of the spirit of God. It's speaking of us coming together in one spirit, in a community, and going out with one purpose in mind. What is the purpose of the local church? Why are we still here? Was to reach out with the gospel. That's why we're still here. Otherwise, we'll be saved and we'll be taken straight to heaven. But we're left here to be sold in life and to reach out. And we're not to dabble in the things of sin, but if we have that focus on Christ and making him known, and we don't dabble in the things of sin, that will keep us together as a local fellowship. Indeed, Paul warns that we're not to dabble with darkness. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And when the honour of Christ and the purity of the gospel are at stake, there's to be no compromise. You know, tomorrow is the 31st of October. And I don't celebrate Halloween, I don't celebrate the Reformation Day. We can remember the cry of Martin Luther, who went under trial, said, here we stand. We can do no other. We can think with Spurgeon in this unwavering attitude he had to the gospel, no matter how much opposition he came under, he said, you cannot have unity without forsaking truth. And to forsake truth for the sake of unity is to betray Jesus Christ. If we are all seeking and striving to live by what this book teaches, I will tell you it will bring great unity. It will bring great unity under Christ. But the devil will seek to tear our fellowship apart. You know what it means to let out and communicate the saving gospel to the lost world? What matters is that we're going out together for Christ, preaching the truth, we're a team, cooperating together. We're athletes together. And our common goal is to preserve the word against hostility and to proclaim the word to a very hostile people who will attack it. We're in a tough battle. We need to keep that perspective. Because not only are we to be consistent to what we preach, not only do we need to pull together and work together as a church fellowship in cooperation and reaching out with the gospel in one spirit, in one mind, but Paul goes on, he says, you need to be courageous. You need to be courageous. Because Paul, he says, that, he says this in verse 28, he says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Don't be alarmed by your opponents. Paul says here in verse 28, it's going to take courage. Don't be alarmed by those who oppose you. Because guess what? You're going to have opposition. You're not to be surprised. You're fighting against the kingdom of darkness. You're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places. You're fighting against sinners who would do anything to defend themselves and what they're doing. You're fighting against people who are proud in the church, who teach bad theology, those who have sinful practices. You're fighting all of these things. And you know, the issue is, you have to be faithful in the fight. Yes, you need to stand firm and you need to work together. And when you come under attack, you, don't, you can't leave your post, but that takes courage. It takes courage at times to open your mind for Christ, doesn't it? How many times have you stood and had an opportunity and you've let it go? When you think back to that opportunity, you could have had spoken a word for Christ. 
Why are we so ashamed of the lenses that we have? Why at times do we keep our mouths shut when we should open them for Christ? We have a life-changing message. We're the only message that saves souls. We're the only message of hope. We're the only message of joy. And really, truly, what people are going around searching for in this world is true hope and true joy. We call this series The Pursuit of Joy. And as the saved, as saved people, we know what it means to be joyful in Christ. And people are searching for that joy, they're searching for that fulfillment, and they're looking for it in all these broken cisterns, and they keep going, and they go to the drink, and that doesn't work. And they go and they spend time and have relationships with too many people, and they don't find satisfaction in that. In the world, they're out there searching for something that will fulfill, and we have the message that will fulfill them for time and eternity. We have the Savior that we need. We know the joy that they need, and yet at times we're so, so, we're not bold, and we're so shy, and we're so scared to speak. Dear believer, in these days we need you know, to open our mouths to Christ. We need to come with courage. As a church, we need to courageously struggle against the Satan and his attacks, yes. But we need to strive together and open our mouths to Christ. No one can read through the early chapters of Acts. I'll tell you that the early church came under great attack. And so there's a word that comes up so many times as you read through the book of Acts. Do you know what that word is? Bold. They were bold. They were bold. They were bold. They were bold to preach the gospel. They stood boldly. Boldness is a characteristic of someone who's saved. Boldness is a characteristic of someone who has been filled with the Spirit of God. So it's not surprising that Paul expects us to be courageous and fearless. And he says this to the believers in God, and you be courageous. You stand for what's right. You strive for the gospel. Don't fear man, Paul says. Does it say in Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man will bring the snare. Oh, if we would fear the Lord, we would stand for him again and preach for him. You know, Paul goes on here in this verse. He says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, an evident token, he speaks of. He says, if you're bold to go out and preach the gospel, it's an evident token, it's a sign, it's an evidence that you are saved. It confirms your seed that you have a desire to go and reach out and reach the laws for him. An evident token, it's proof. It's being marked with boldness and courage to reach, to profess your faith to as many as possible. You're on the way to a lost eternity. But not only does it confirm the seed, it condemns the laws. Because God gives us courage. And as we reach out, we look out and there's people who are unmoved. And as they look at us, they eventually, in the Lord's will, as we witness to them, will see their lost esteem. But let me tell you something as we think of this courage. Paul says this in verse 29, For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's a tough verse to read. And it's a tough pill to swallow. 
Because Paul says, in his grace, for unto you it is given, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to be bold enough to suffer for him. And Paul says that's the predicament that I'm in. He says, I'm in the same conflict. He says, this is where I am now. He's been speaking about it. And this is really where all of a sudden we've listened to Paul's testimony and we've said, yes, that's good for Paul. And the Philippians have listened to Paul's testimony. I'm in prison, but for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. And his attitude is, I'm in prison, but I'm seeing people saved. I'm in a terrible situation. I'm, I'm suffering, but I rejoice in my suffering. I rejoice in my chains because people are being saved. And he said all these things. And all of a sudden he turns the tables in the Philippians and he says, you should rejoice in suffering too. <coughs> the idea, this word given is the idea of grace. And it's gracious that we would be able to suffer for Christ. In other words, it's a privilege. Paul says it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. You know, there's a video that I watched recently. And it's a man who is speaking about persecution in this country. And the interviewer asked him, how can we pray for you? And he just simply said, don't pray that the per persecution will leave. He says, because it draws us closer to Christ. He just says, pray that we'll stand firm. And he went on to say something that I thought was very challenging to us here in Northern Ireland. He said that, I pray that persecution will come to Western countries. He says, because then maybe, he says, they'll stand for Christ the way they should. That video hit me hard. Because so often in the Christian walk in these days, it's almost like People get their ticket to heaven. <coughs> and they step onto the cruise ship and they do nothing for the Lord. When we should be stepping on, stepping onto the battleship and fighting for the Lord. <coughs> Jeremiah tells the story of Joseph's son, the pastor of a large Baptist church in Romania. <coughs> and uh, it's, it's a story that happened during the days when communists ruled in. Uh, Pastor Son's country. And in 1973, he published a document that described how the <coughs> communist government had obstructed religious freedom in his land. As a result of his brief disclosure, he was singled out for persecution and harassment. And on one occasion, they threatened him with torture and death. And this was what was his courageous response. He said, your supreme weapon is killing. And he said, my supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works, he said. You know that my sermons are on tape, and they're spread right through the country. He says, if you kill me, these sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know that I died for my preaching. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. And he said this to the person who was going to kill him, I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you tell me. 
I wonder, and I speak to my own soul as I speak to you, I wonder in that situation if you arrive at the same thing. What if we suffered to Christ? We would have to confess very little. Let me ask the question, has society became tolerant of the Church of Christ? Or has the Church of Christ become more like society? How do we respond to God's word this morning? I wonder are you prepared to stand up and be counted? I wonder will you live through the gospel as if Christ could come any day? I wonder will you be consistent in your walk? I wonder will you work together with the church to strengthen the gospel? I wonder will you be courageous? I wonder is the life that you live worthy of the gospel? When people hear your name, what's the first thing they think of? Is it godliness? Holiness of life? Is it bitterness? Complaining? Backbiting? I wonder if there's some of us here today that need to put off the old clothes and put on the new ones. For I'll tell you the greatest weapon that we have in the fight for the gospel. And the greatest weapon we have against the enemy, the devil, is living a life of consistency. That's the word. Consistency of a holy, righteous, godly life. And a holy, righteous, godly church that points to the one who died in the central tree at the place 